So it's good to have you with us. We are, believe it or not, we're actually wrapping up the book of Jonah this morning. Um, it, hallelujah, right? It's only, this is our seventh week in a four-chapter book, and it's just a narrative. And um, I think one of the things that, that David and I have learned and just realized is that Jonah, it's one of those books that's like, you read it as a kid or it's read to you when you're a kid, maybe, and then you just don't really ever study it after that. It's like, okay, I got that story. It was a cute kid's story. We'll just forget about it. And you never really revisit it. And I think that even my view of the book was tainted as this is just a kid's story, not this is really a, this is a, a prophetic book, um, part of the prophets of the Old Testament. And we hope that now that you guys are also seeing that it's a bigger, it's, it's a much bigger picture. Um, it's a, a much bigger piece of the of the puzzle of the Old Testament, and there's a lot more value to this literature than just a kid's story. I mean, it's historical, right? It's uh, it's satire, which is kind of fun. It's kind of like the book of sarcasm, which I sarcasm is like my primary language, so uh, I really like that. And it's it's got this allegorical perspective as well, which is really 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 neat. Um, and and one of the things that I've really come to appreciate is just how beautifully and how well-written this book is. Um, I mean, some people really appreciate literature. Others are like, okay, if I have to read, I will. But this book is really incredibly well-written. Um, it's chock full of little nuggets that kind of open up our perspective of the rest of scripture and themes throughout the rest of scripture, as well as just really cool narrative tools that help us understand the mindset of the Jewish people at that time. And so, um, so we're going to dive into some, some last things that we wanted to cover in the book of Jonah. We we're trying to figure out how do we describe this? Like, what is this experience? Yeah, so and it, I have to share with you a memory that I have from my childhood. Uh, there was this dish that my mother would make for our family when I was growing up. And she came up with it sometime. I was maybe eight or ten years old when she came up with it. And... <laughs> It had chicken and carrots and potatoes and a whole bunch of other stuff in the fr from whatever was in the fridge in a crock pot. And she put like ketchup and mustard and mayo in there and stuff that you wouldn't really think would go well together. And she knew that, you know, some of us, I didn't like mayonnaise or ketchup or mustard. But she knew she couldn't tell us that all the stuff that was in it. So she came up with the, the name for it. We said, what are we having for dinner? She said, it's chicken special. <laughs> like that. It's a special chicken dish it's got all kinds of stuff in it you're gonna love it and we loved it it was delicious and she'd make it for people who would come over and they'd be oh well this is great what's the recipe and she's like a bunch of stuff from the fridge in the crock pot with chicken and potatoes and carrots and so when we were studying for this and, and putting this message together I couldn't help but think of that because that's kind of how we feel about this message it's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't necessarily go together but hopefully maybe it'll be something that um is beneficial for everyone. This, this is our version of chicken special <laughs> yeah. i guess yeah. for, in, in <laughs> yeah. a sermon it's like all the things that weren't weren't a sermon on their own but are really neat components yeah, of we it. found it worthwhile to chew on these things so. <laughs> oh, oh the bad puns are just gonna keep going i think i think <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit different than a normal sermon but yeah. hopefully you find it beneficial for yeah you. well to help you digest this topic a little bit um We'll break it down into some different sections. How's that? We'll, do, we'll break it down into patterns, structures, repetition, and other literature. So four different components of, of the book of Jonah that really aren't like 
sermon worthy on their own. But when you look at them in the context of the book and of the, of the rest of scripture, it's really cool when you start to pick out some of these things because you'll start to see them throughout the rest of scripture. So the first part is patterns. The book of Jonah is filled with patterns. And, and patterns are really cool because patterns often repeat over and over in the scripture. One of them is this idea of up and down, right? So if you're in business and you want to succeed, which way are you going to go on that ladder? You're going to go up the ladder, right? You're going to climb up the ladder of success because that's the path of progress, right? Nobody wants to go down the ladder of success. How many of you ever played shoots and ladders? You want the ladder, not the chute, right? Because the chute goes where? Back down, right? So down is the bad and up is the good. Now we, we had this in our own society, but this was also a way of thinking for the Jews. So we start out the book of Jonah chapter one. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Jonah chapter one. Starting in verse one, we, we get, listen, listen for the words up and down and see what you, what you catch here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the vessel and stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. So you start out in chapter one of Jonah and you have God saying, get up and go and do this. And it's all this up because their cry has come up to me. So up is the place where God is. And down is the place that's away from God. And we see this even in more in chapter two, don't we? As Jonah is sinking deeper and deeper into the ocean in the prayer in chapter two, he's going further and further from God. He sees the temple of God up on the mountain and he sinks to the root of the mountain as far away, down, 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 away from God. So this idea of up being where God is and down being away from God is a pattern that we see over and over in scripture. So let's think about some places where we might've seen this. Uh, Exodus chapter 24, um, God shows up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's going to speak to the people of Israel after bringing them out of Egypt. And in Exodus 24, verse one, we read this. Then God said to Moses, Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and servant, and 70 of Israel's elders and bow and worship at a distance. So you go up to the Lord. So when God appeared to Israel, he appeared to them on the mountains, the up. Matter of fact, when they came down from the mountain, they found Israel worshiping what? Idols. And God said, go down to, the, to your people. <laughs> Moses is like, they're not my people, God, they're yours. But that's a whole separate sermon. We've already covered that. The up mentality is, is that's where God was. And the down mentality is that's away from God. Not always, but when you're looking at patterns, you see them repeated, but it's not always going to be 100% of the time up is God and down is, is away from God. Um, Psalm 139, verses seven and eight. You want to read that one for us? Sure. It says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, 
you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And what's Sheol, David? So that's the, uh, and <clears throat> I'll get more to that in a second, but it's Sheol is the underworld, the under the ground, under the earth. It's where the dead live, <laughs> dead are. Um, what's interesting about that verse, though, is that he says that God is in heaven and in Sheol. So he's kind of recognizing that this, this concept of up and down is not a literal concept because he knows that god is everywhere yes so he's it's, he's making a theological statement there while also implementing this concept this pattern that's embedded in their imaginations as up versus down yeah, that's uh, right it's a cool verse it is a cool verse um psalm 30 and verse 3 uh oh yahweh you have brought my life up from sheol you preserve me alive from among those going down to the pit so god has rescued us up from the grave and and kept us from from being different from those that are going down to the pit, down to death. So death is down and away from God is down and up is toward God. Um, in Jonah chapter two, verse six, we talked about the prayer. Um, and Jonah says, I went down to the foundation of the mountains, the underworld, its bars were around me forever, but you brought up my life from the pit, Yahweh, my God. So there's this pattern that Jonah is using that's really a foundational pattern all throughout scripture. And if you, are, if you are reading the Hebrew scriptures as a Jew, you're understanding this idea of up and down. You're understanding that God is up and that away from God is down, and you're catching the imagery of this. Um, it's just part of their way of thinking. So, so you could have life, and you could have death, and you could have heavenly, and you can have earthly, and you can have God, and you can have mankind, and you can have good, and you can have bad. And they're symbolized by up and down. We do this with a, with a lot of metaphors in our own culture, don't we? Right? Something is black or white. Something is good or bad. Something, And we have all these different ways of associating different things. Um, and you, you actually added some comments yeah, on this so one. Yeah, so just to solidify this even further, I think it's helpful to remember that, you know, the, the concept of the earth being a globe, a sphere, is a relatively recent kind of revel right. revelation or that, that it's been accepted. Uh, so when we read the creation story back in Genesis, we're picturing God creating the earth, right? We're picturing this planet and the planets and the, the earth is revolving around the sun. And, and we're picturing this because that's what we've grown up uh, learning and knowing about space and creation. We have Google Earth. We know yes. it's around. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and satellites. And it's, it's awesome. But that's not how they would have pictured it at all thousands of years ago, especially in ancient, you know, Near Eastern cultures, they would have read the creation story and pictured not God creating the earth, but God creating the earth and the heavens and below that. And you, so there's kind of a three layer piece where this is the human space where we live down there is where the dead people are. And up there is where, you know, the spiritual realm of heaven and again we kind of have that same concept mm -hmm. in our heads because we say you know we think of god being up there right but so do people on the other side of the globe in china or australia they think of god being up there but that's like it's a totally different direction from us so right. we we know and i think they knew too that it's not a literal representation of reality but it's just a way of framing a very complex world in a simpler way yeah yeah, so they had a flat earth mentality because that's the way everybody believed back then. 
So when you read verses, even like how, um, how far has God separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west? Mm-hmm. In a flat earth, that makes sense. They never touch. If you're like, oh, it's a globe. Hello? <laughs> you know, yeah. It doesn't make as much sense, but on a flat <laughs> earth, it does. Okay, so understand that's part of their mindset too. Um, so that's just one pattern that they have, the up and down pattern that Jonah brings into his story. But there's another pattern that goes back to Genesis chapter one and also continues even into the New Testament as David brought out. And that's this idea of sea and dry land, the sea and dry land. So Jonah, where did Jonah start in the book of of Jonah? Started on the dry land. When he went to leave God's presence, where did he go? He, He went to the water, right? He went to the sea and then he was in the sea and then he was in the bottom of the sea and then the fish spit him up where? On dry land. And then he went further inland to Nineveh to preach to them. And then got scorched by the dry land at the very end, um, which I think is really cool. Now, Jonah talks about the fact when he talks to the prophet, uh, to the sailors, excuse me, when he talks to the sailors, he says that he serves Yahweh and Yahweh is the God of the sea and the dry land. Now, he didn't have to use those two terms. He could have said he's the, he's the God of sailors and prophets. He's the God of Israel and the God of all the nations, but he chose to use sea and dry land. So what other stories do you think of that remind you of this idea of dry land? Anybody? Let's go Old Testament stories. What other Old Testament stories refer to dry land? Creation. Parting of the Red Sea, they went through on dry land. Okay, where else? Noah. Yeah, God flooded the earth, and then eventually there was dry land. Yeah, what else? After Moses, who was the next leader? Joshua, and he took the Israelites through the Jordan River on dry ground, on dry land. So let's take that story of Jonah. The water symbolizes death and chaos and destruction, and dry land symbolizes peace and symbolizes protection right? And life. So these are thematic elements throughout all of scripture, starting in the very beginning when the earth was void and there was chaos and the the waters covered the earth. And when God separated the chaos and it goes all the way through the scriptures with this idea of water and of dry land. Um, So the sea is often associated with chaos and death and dry land is associated with deliverance and safety. And that's, yeah, that's a design pattern that it starts with creation and it carries through the whole story. You know, some stories have themes that carry throughout that story, but the whole Bible has this design pattern. And, you know, with creation, the earth was this inhospitable, Mm -hmm. tumultuous chaos of this ocean of chaos. And then out of that, God provided land, an uh, an actual mountain even. So there's the elevation aspect too of that for the humans to dwell on and to separate the people from the chaotic waters. And then when you get to Noah, it's like, the waters are all caving in on the land, and it's like this uncreation of, of the world. Uh, so everything being overtaken by the storm and the waves. So it's, you see that again and again, and it's really cool. And then, of course, I have to bring up that the Jordan is also where Jesus was baptized, which is so cool because he, we won't get into that now. Well, no, but, but baptism is so important because this takes this, meta, this, takes this, this um, pattern and brings it into the New Testament. Yeah, totally. Because of what baptism symbolizes. Symbolizing going 
the submersion of baptism symbolizes death and then the resurrection out of the water. So it's just a really powerful image that's, you know, it's the baptism isn't what actually cleanses us of sin. We know that, but it's such a powerful representation of what Jesus has done in our lives. Yeah. So that, so these patterns carry all the way through the new Testament as well, not just the old Testament. So you have up and down and you have sea and dry land. Those are patterns, but that pattern of sea and dry land also brings us to our second topic, which is the structure of the book, which is really cool. Um, but if you look at Jonah, Jonah chapter one, God's, uh, Jonah says that God is the, the God of the sea and the dry land, but you could also use that as a way to divide the book. The first two chapters take place on the sea. The second two chapters take place on the dry land. It's subtle, but it's neat. Um, the other way you can also choose to divide the book of Jonah is by callings. There's a calling to Jonah in chapter one. And God says, go to Nineveh and preach my message to them. And Jonah says, no. And then in chapter three, God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach my message. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. So you have this calling that splits it up. So the book seems to be this, this structure of the first two chapters are the not going to do it chapters. And they're also in the water and in the chaos. The second two chapters are the I'm going to do it. And they take place on the dry land. Um, so I think that's just part of the, the, the book structure. But there's also this idea of chapter structure, which is really cool. The book of Jonah seems like four somewhat connected but really diverse chapters. Like each chapter, there's no, so, all right, so you, you do realize that when this was written, it didn't have chapter and verse breakdowns, right? Th that didn't exist. We added those to help us reference it. So when it was first written, it was just one story, but you can tell where it's supposed to break, can't you? And as you're reading through it and you're like, okay, so Jonah, Jonah doesn't go. He goes into the boat. He goes into the boat and he gets thrown overboard. Like, just like a cliffhanger. I mean, if you were watching like the episodes, you'd see Jonah thrown overboard and you'd be like, to be, to be continued. <laughs> and then you go back to last time on Jonah, you know, running from God. And you'd have Jonah like, ah, oh, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. He goes into the fish. And then the fish like, Bleh! and he spits up on dry land. And then Jonah's got this decision. Do I follow God or not? It's like, end of, end of chapter, right? Then he goes to Nineveh and all the people of Nineveh repent. And Jonah's like, but end of chapter, right? So then he goes outside the city to watch his final destruction. And then there's this story where God is like, you're a jerk, Jonah. Don't you get it? Don't you see my mercy? And he asks him a question and it's like, end of the season. You're like, it can end like that. I mean, literally how <laughs> the whole book is written. Right? It's really, really cool. But you can also take these chapters and view them from perspectives. And this is a great study tool. Anytime you're reading the Bible, this is a great study tool to use when you're studying a book of the Bible. For instance, you can look at these chapters from the perspective of Jonah. Chapter one, Jonah's running away from God. Chapter two, Jonah is swallowed and dying. Chapter three, Jonah declares God's message. And chapter four, Jonah throws a fit. Okay, so you can see Jonah's reaction to what is going on. And that's the character perspective. You can do it from the perspective of God, right? God commands the sea and the storm. God commands a fish. God commands Jonah. And God commands a plant and a worm and the sun and the wind. So you can see it from God's perspective. See how he inter interacts with his creation. Um, you can see it from how the characters interact with God. So chapter one. The sailors encounter God through what? 
a storm, right? Chapter two, Jonah encounters God through what? The fish. Chapter three, the Ninevites and their animals encounter God through Jonah, a human. And then in chapter four, Jonah encounters God through a plant and a worm and the heat. I think that's cool because all of the ways, those correspond with all the ways in which God was commanding. So all of those commands that Mike brought mm. up that God was commanding, the sea, the fish, Jonah, the plant, the worm, all of those were ways in which people encountered God, in which God was interacting with them. Pretty cool. Yeah, but, but yet when you get to chapter three, you realize that though God could have shown up at any time in Nineveh and said, you guys are bad and you need to change, right? I mean, God had shown up in person many times before in the, in the Old Testament, but he didn't. He chose instead to send a human to take his message to the people that needed to hear it. I think that's a very significant lesson from Jonah, from the book of Jonah. That's true of all the prophets, but mm -hmm. it's especially interesting with Jonah because how deeply flawed and how obviously flawed right? he was. Yeah, so God uses broken humans to accomplish his work. You had a, a note here, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the question is, what, did Jonah have some mental difficulties as well? Um, I think there's two perspectives on that. Um, we find all throughout scripture with David, um, uh, Elijah, the prophet, so many times we see the characters in the Bible that go through seasons of depression, as well as seasons of extreme joy and happiness. Um, I think that just because you're a follower of God, doesn't mean that you won't go through uh, depression and challenges and sadness. Um, I think that there is a false guilt that is sometimes placed in the Christian world on, on things like that. Um, you can jump in anytime you want. I, I agree with that. And I, I think sometimes, you know, certain uh, mental and emotional things can correlate to what your spiritual life. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's purely biological imbalances in your body. Um, and but either way, I think the intense emotion and all the, these things we see, like Mike said, we see that in uh, Psalms and we see it in Lamentations. And it's, it's natural and human to experience these deep emotions. Not every moment is a joyful moment. You know, there's mourning and, and grief. You know, that's not a mental health issue, but that's also, you know, the be anxious and nothing can be used dangerously to blanket and, and discredit a lot of very legitimate issues. I think. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, so let's flip that and say, when we know we're, what we're supposed to be doing and we ignore God, 
um, you can expect that it won't go well for you. We're going to cover that just a little bit later in the sermon. Um, and that can even show up in things like depression and, and a lot of other issues because we know we're running from God. Um, and so there, there can be a couple different sides of that. So it's a, it's a valid question. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, in some ways, I do think Jonah was a little mental, um, but, but I think that that was intentional uh, in this part because of the, of the fact that he was symbolizing Israel. Um, so I think that there's some significant ways that it's brought out that it's not, his behavior is not right. Yeah. Um, and it's significant that God still used him, yes. even though he was clearly, you know, doing some things wrong and, and he symbolizes Israel who is constantly doing the wrong thing. And, you know, it's, it's this fact that God chose this broken human to join him on his mission of, of redeeming other broken humans. And, you know, going back to the flood story, we know that God promised not to wipe everything out again, right? Even right. though he, know, he knew that we would deserve it. We see that in Genesis 8, uh, verse 21. Right. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. But it's not just that he wants to relent. He has chosen to relent from disaster, from wiping us out. He actually wants to redeem us by his power. And because left to ourselves, I think we end up throwing ourselves in the water. You know, we bring the flood of mm -hmm. destruction on ourselves, but God wants to reconcile his relationship with humanity. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, this, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Yeah, and part of the, the challenge of Jonah, even as you're looking at the structure, is you realize that we, we fit into the same structure sometimes. You know, especially before Christ, we are certainly the Jonah types of running away from God. But we all have seasons where we can choose to run away from God or to ignore God. Um, but yet, in spite of our own brokenness, and our own flaws, which are probably easier for others to pick out than for us to see in ourselves. Um, we used to joke and say, if you really want to know what your, what your shortcomings are, ask your spouse. They'll tell you because they know. Um, don't advise that necessarily. It might make for a rough lunch. But, uh, you know, we all have our own brokenness. It can be a healthy discussion. It can be. Just yeah, pick your timing <laughs> carefully. Um, you know, we, even in spite of our own brokenness, God still chooses to use us as his tool of reconciliation. And that's one of the lessons we think that, that Jonah brings out as well. Um, so another, the, the third aspect of the book of Jonah is repetition. Um, it can help with tone as well as seeing the overall message. And how many times things are repeated can be an indicator of how important it is. Um, so we, just like when certain words are omitted, it can show that, that it's important. Because you can hear the repetition, 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 all of a sudden something's missing. And you're like, wait, something's missing here. So repetition is a really good tool uh, to use when you're studying a book of the Bible. So during the message, you brought out the word great, and you brought that one up a couple of times. There's a great gatol. storm. What's the word? Gatol is the Hebrew word. That sounds yeah. Italian, um, but yeah. It does kind of, yeah. But yeah, that's, it's all over. It's all over. Uh, but another word that's used all over is the word bad or evil, which is um, the same word. It's, it's ra or ra'ah. It's the same word that goes back to the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and, and bad. Yeah, good, or, good and bad or good and evil. Um, and uh, this, this word shows up in chapter 1, verse 2. 
chapter one, verse seven, chapter one, verse eight, chapter three, verse eight, chapter three, verse 10, chapter four, verse one, chapter four, verse two, chapter four, verse six. What chapter doesn't it show up in? Chapter two. So you knew the quiz was coming, didn't you? Yeah, you're. But see, how is, how is this translated in English, though? Because the word evil or bad doesn't show up over and over again. Right. So how is it translated? So it's translated as trouble, evil, disaster, displeased. Um, those are the main ways. It can also be so translated. It's not as obvious in English that it's the same word. That's, been that's true. That's true. Where it would be in the Hebrew because mm -hmm. it's the same word. I mean, it has the same symbol, same characters. Um, matter of fact, in chat, one of my commentaries said in chapter four and verse one, that the literal translation says that would be a, it was evil to Jonah with great evil <laughs> is how it would kind of read. It's like great evil. Great evil. Is that great? <laughs> <two again>? words. <laughs> yep. um, and it's funny that it describes evil about Jonah, which is exactly the way that God used the same word to describe the Ninevites, that they were evil and their, their wickedness or their evilness, their badness had come before God. Um, so, so this word, evil or bad doesn't show up in chapter two, but in chapter two, it does say that Jonah prayed to God from his distress or from his trouble. And in English, you might think it's the same word trouble that you see in other places where it's trouble in the book of Jonah, but it's actually a different word. And so David's going to geek out on this word and tell us about this word. <laughs> okay. So both of the, those words, ra'ah, and this word, uh, which is uh, sara, it even kind of sounds similar, but they mean different things they both can be translated as trouble but the root of this word is totally different it's the word sar which means restraint it's to be bound by something uh, or to be tied up or be enveloped surrounded by something so it's really clever wordplay i think because it really it ties into the concepts of you know the seaweed was wrapped around his head he's being he's engulfed by the ocean he's inside the belly of this fish where he can't move. So he's praying from his place of overwhelming restraint uh, where he, he couldn't move. But it's interesting that even though we would say that Jonah's actions here have been bad, morally bad, theologically bad. Ra. He, ra mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he's been ra. But he prays not to ask for God's forgiveness for his ra. He doesn't admit that he's been partaking in this Ra, he says he asks for God to spare him from this bad place that he's in. Yeah. And, and so why is this repeated over and over again? And I think that one of the themes of the book of Jonah that you can take away from it, because we're always talking about how do you know, what, what are the themes that you pull from it? And if you're teaching this to your kids, what, what are the lessons you want them to know? Or if you're trying to in, in, ingest it for your own life. Um, I think it's, it's trying to point out the fan that the, the point that anytime you turn your back on God, it will go bad for you. I mean, you can even use that word. It will go bad for you. And this is not a new concept either. This is, again, can be considered like a pattern in the Bible because it's actually brought out in the law and the prophets and the writings. Those are the three sections that the Hebrews had as their Old Testament, or the Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. So in the law, we find it in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? This is Cain and Abel. Remember that story? Cain and Abel, they both gave a sacrifice. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, and Cain was not being accepted. So Cain did the only logical thing. He brought a better sacrifice. 
No, instead, Cain went out and killed his brother. The first murder that we have like that in, in scripture. Um, and so God approaches Cain just before he commits this crime and says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It is desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So there's this idea that if you don't do what is right, if you don't obey God, it will go badly for you. We see that right from the very beginning of Genesis. Um, we see it in the prophets, Jeremiah, all throughout the prophets, but Jeremiah 26, 4. Um, you are to say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me by living according to my instructions that I set before you, and by listening to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you time and time again, though you did not listen, I will make this temple like Shiloh. I will make the city an example of cursing for all the nations on the earth. In other words, if you don't listen, I'm going to destroy you and your city and your temple. It will, be go, it will go badly for you. And then in the writings, the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms are considered part of the writings. In Proverbs 14, 22, if you, do, if you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. So this idea of bad is brought up over and over again because it's part of the, the fabric or the structure of the scriptures, um, choosing to do what is right and not doing what is wrong. And so by using that word bad over and over and over again, we're, we're reminded of that. Now those verses are interesting, though, because the, I, I think it's interesting to um, or important to recognize these are general principles, not necessarily promises that it will go exactly that way every time. Because yes. I could see Jonah quoting these verses to God saying, why aren't you destroying the Ninevites? Because you promised that it'll go bad for people who don't follow you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because he couldn't see the bigger picture of what God was doing. And I think it's important to realize that for ourselves. Sometimes we might be thinking, those people are doing bad. Why isn't God doing anything about it? Their lives are going great. We saw this in Malachi. They accused God of re rewarding the wicked instead of you know, punishing the wicked. And we have to realize that sometimes God has a much bigger picture in mind. And in the end, he is a just God, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we can't judge him for how he's judging. Yes. Yeah. So the next pattern we want to bring up is the difference between the name and the title of God. So what's, what's God's name? Anybody know? Yahweh. And his title is God. So God is not a name. It's a title. So kind of like pastor or, or my, dad or dad. Right. So yeah, position, title um, versus uh, versus actual name. My kids don't usually call me by my name. Right. And any of you ever have your kids call you by your name? Yeah, my, my my kids only did it when I didn't hear them, when I had that like <laughs> that, that thing where you just don't ever hear your kids. And they're going, dad, 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 dad. Yeah. And they're going, dad, dad, dad. And then all of a sudden they're like. Mike and I'm like what? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Don't use my name. Well, you weren't listening. Okay, you're right. You know, just names and then there's titles. Um, Yahweh is the personal name of God, and and God is the title or position. And the first time that we have God's name recorded, where He actually gave His name is recorded from the beginning of Genesis, but the first time He actually reveals His name to His creation is in Exodus chapter three, and the story is Moses. And the burning bush, another one that we like to read to our kids, Moses and the burning bush. And in Exodus 3.13, God has already told Moses, you're going to go to the Israelites, you're going to redeem them out of Egypt, take them from Pharaoh, I'm going to punish Pharaoh, and I'm going to show them that I'm, I'm God. 
and that he's not because Pharaoh's thought they were gods. And Moses is coming up with excuses. Remember that Moses is the guy that has a thousand excuses. And he says, Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So this name Yahweh was given to Moses. Moses was the the spokesperson at that time for the nation Israel. So this name Yahweh was a special name that only the Israelites were privy to. I mean, it was like their special name for God because God was their God. And he was the father, he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation Israel coming from Abraham. And that's significant because other nations had other gods with mm-hmm. other names. And the Hebrew word for God, like in English, is you know, Elohim is not a name. Elohim is just a title. So all these other nations would have their own Elohim. So to have, that's why you see God and Lord, which Lord is in place of Yahweh. You see that together so often to, to specify Yahweh God. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, when you read the book of Jonah and you see where the sailors were praying to their gods, G-O-D-S with a lowercase g, it's the word Elohim. Mm-hmm. When you see the word God with a capital G referring to Yahweh God, it's the word Elohim. It's the same word. So Yahweh, the name. There's no capital there's lowercase no, in Hebrew at all. So. <laughs> so when you see Yahweh God, you're getting this um, distinguisher to teach you that it's that God that they're talking about because there were many gods that they would be talking about. So in Jonah chapter one, verse nine, Jonah said, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Or if you're reading it in the Hebrew, if those words would be, I, I worship Yahweh, the Elohim of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And although the book of Jonah, um, all throughout the book of Jonah, the name and the title of God are interchanged. But it's really cool. So I'm going to let you know, I put, I put online, I'm going to put online when we put the sermon online, I took the whole book of Jonah and I highlighted the name of God in one color and then the title of God in another color. And as you look at the whole book that way, you'll see how the name and the title of God are interchanged and how it plays out with the different characters and the different chapters. It's really, really cool. It's a great thing to do when you're studying the Bible is you can start highlighting things like that and see what patterns there are. So with the sailors, with the sailors on the boat, Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I serve Yahweh, the God of heaven, um, the one who is the, the maker of the sea and the dry land. Um, Jonah tells the sailors about Yahweh, and all in chapter one, the sailors cry out to Yahweh, so non-Jews crying out to Yahweh, very significant. And they offer sacrifices to Yahweh and make vows to Yahweh. There's this idea that even these people who were not Jews understood God well enough, the God of the Hebrews, to call him by name really significant because then you flip to the Ninevites and God after in chapter three, where God sends Jonah to the Ninevites, the Jonah, the the Ninevites only know Elohim. 
you never have the name Yahweh used with the Ninevites. You only have God, Elohim, which is interesting. Um, it's only the title. So with the sailors, it's only the name of God used. With the Ninevites, it's only the title of God. With Jonah, you have Yahweh, 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 because he's a prophet of Yahweh, right? So it's relationship, 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 until you get to chapter four, which is just really geeky and cool. You get to chapter four, where Jonah's mad at God and goes outside the city to the east, and God sends the worm, and God sent the plant, and God sent the sun, and God, Elohim, not the name Yahweh. So by the time you get to chapter four, the relationship between God and Jonah is so strained, I believe, that now it's not Yahweh, it's Elohim is dealing with Jonah the same way he was dealing with Nineveh. It's no longer his name until the very last verse where Yahweh says to Jonah, shouldn't I have compassion on these people as well? We go back to his personal name. It's just really cool. To me, it's really kind of geeky and fun. Um, one of my commenta commentaries that I read said this, um, the rest of the section of chapter four, the divine name Elohim or God, which is, I think they're wrong. It's not divine name, the title Elohim, which has been used consistently for God's dealing with Nineveh is now used for his dealings with Jonah. The use of Lord God or Yahweh Elohim transitions it. So you start out in chapter four and it uses Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God did this with Jonah. And then it's God, 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 no longer his name until the very end to get his name again. So you see that distancing between Jonah and God at the end. I just think it's really cool. That's one of those nerdy things that you don't necessarily, um, I don't know, a lot of, I, I think you can just have a lot of fun looking at those things, but we're talking about repetition here. The name Jonah shows up 18 times. The name or title of God shows up 38 times. So what does that tell you? Obviously, God is the more important character in the book, even though we make Jonah out to be the most important character. And we started out with that, saying that this is a book about God and his sovereignty and his character. But often we make Jonah to be the main character. Jonah is just, he's, he's a supporting actor. And, and we, we, he's, the, he's the one we don't necessarily want to relate to. We literally just found that out Wednesday night, wasn't it? We were, I was we're counting through counting them, yes. How many times the name shows up? We're like, hold on. It's like twice as many times God's name or reference to God is showing up than Jonah. So yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so I am going to geek out. I promised you I was going to do this. Um, I'm going to read you some children's stories. Not all of these. So I want to tell you, what, I have a bunch of them up here that you can look at if you want to. And if you, if you let me borrow some. You can have them back. Um, some of the good ones, believe it or not, this one was in, this is like an Ollie's for like three bucks. It's uh, Ready, Set, Find, Jonah and the Big Fish. And uh, it's really cool because there's like all sorts of things you can find. I had a lot of fun with this book. But this, is, <laughs> this one actually sticks to the story really well. I want to make one statement about children's books, though. Um, basically, none of them talk about the sailors worshiping Yahweh, which is one of the main themes of chapter one. Most of them ignore chapter four altogether because how do you explain that to a kid? We don't even always get it as adults. I get that. Um, most of them say that Jonah was sorry. Now, 
it's really not what is recorded in chapter two, but I want to make a note here. Uh, my wife and I were looking at some of these and talking about this last night. If repentance is to turn and go the other way, then in one sense, you could say that Jonah repented because where he had once run away from God and doing what God had asked him to, he then made a vow to do what God did and followed. So in that sense, Jonah did actually repent, but Jonah never says he's sorry for his actions. So if any of these books say that Jonah repented, I could be okay with that. Jonah never says he's sorry. Um, the only complaint about this one is Jonah says he's sorry while he's in the big fish. And I guess that that's probably the easiest way to re relate that to a kid. Um, this is actually a pretty good book. If any of you want to keep this one, you can, you can have it. Um, this one is called One Big Story, Bible Storybook. And believe it or not, this one was really good. It had like one page on Jonah. And then it had some application points on the bottom. It's just really, really good one-page summary of Jonah. And I haven't read through the rest of it, but you should be reading through them to make sure that they're accurate. Uh, I actually liked this particular one. Um, the Bible Made Easy for Kids. This one, I think, belongs to the Allens. Um, and this one was actually uh, really good. There's no mention of the sailors worshiping again. I mentioned that. But, but the story actually is another one-page um, type of thing. Uh, two pages, I'm sorry, it goes through two pages, and it's actually really good. Um, did a really good job of summarizing the story without distorting the meaning. Now, we mentioned that Jonah's satire, right? That it's, you're reading it and you're going, well, Jonah should be doing this. And a lot of the storybooks take what Jonah should be doing and made it what Jonah actually did, which is wrong. That's not what actually happened. Um, this one is so-so. This one, aside from the fact that Jonah said he was sorry, the... the <laughs> So here's, all right, I'm going to read you the end of this one. It's got a moral of the story at the end of it. Um, here, so, so God listened to Jonah. This is chapter four, uh, three. He caused the fish to spit Jonah onto the sandy beach. When God told Jonah to go to people of Nineveh and tell them what he'd said. The king of Nineveh heard Jonah's warning and was afraid. He took off his royal robes and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. He told the people to wear sackcloth and to tell God they were sorry. They would all obey God and do what was right from now on. So God did not punish the people of Nineveh. He loved them. He knew that they were truly sorry and had chosen to do good. Every day you choose between right and wrong, God wants you to make the right choice. I'm like, really? And it's got Jonah smiling. He's so happy that everybody in Nineveh changed. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, I was good up to the last page. And then I'm like, but if you're looking for a moral, yes, Jonah had the choice to do what was right or wrong. And he chose the wrong thing and eventually chose the right thing. So I can see where they got that from. So this one's kind of like in the middle for me because there's Jonah like, I'm so happy. It's like, no, he was all sulking. He wasn't happy at all. That one's kind of middle of the road for me. But these are just bad. <laughs> okay, these are like, I can't believe these are kids' books. And um, if you have any of the, these books, we're not telling you to go burn them. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> some, well, one of them you should. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into censorship, but I just want to say, just because it says Bible stories does not mean it's good, okay? Just because you throw Bible on there doesn't make it somehow, like, perfect. It's, it's, some of them are really bad. Okay, I'm going to read you, you. Yeah, some of them need to be burned. I'm throwing some of them out, okay? So one day, this is a one-pager. One day, God told a man named Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. They needed someone to teach them about God. But Jonah didn't like the people there, so he ran away on a ship. God sent a storm. And Jonah fell into the water. <laughs> then God sent a whale to swallow him. Jonah was safe inside the whale. 
And he saw that he was wrong to disobey God. He prayed and said he was sorry. So God freed him from the whale, and Jonah happily went to Nineveh to preach. That picture, too, right? That, that picture kills me. He's like, he's enjoying his, his time back, with the whale. Lazy, enjoying, and it says, Thank you, God, for giving me work to do. That's right. That's like the moral of the story. Thank you, God, for giving me work to do. I'm like, Are you serious? This, this is trash. Okay, so that one's. <laughs> Thank you, God, for giving me work to do. And for my pet whale, Willie. Again, that should be, that's a good moral. That's, a good, that's what he should be saying, but oh. that's not what, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> I, I like the idea of this one, and I don't remember whose this one was. Um, this is a, this is like a comic book version of the Bible, which is kind of cool. And it's got like the little action thing and the little bubbles and the thought bubbles and stuff, which is really neat. Cause it's like, yeah, this, I get this. Cause like pictures are good. So Jonah, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Um, tell the people there that I am going to destroy them for their wickedness. And God talks to a person and tells him to do something. Don't you think he would go ahead and do it? Not Jonah. In fact, Jonah went the opposite direction. God told him to go. He couldn't believe God wanted him to waste his time on such an evil and horrible group of people in Nineveh. Jonah didn't want anything to do with it or them. He looked for a way out and headed for some ships in a distance. Do you have room for a passenger? Jonah called out to a man on one of the boats. Yes, answered the man. We're headed to Tarshish now. How about you? Jonah snickered to himself and replied, perfect. That's perfect. Then he added under his breath, the opposite direction from Nineveh. Little did he know what they were in for. Now, so far, I'm like, oh, this is not bad. I can really get into this, right? As soon as they set sail, the ocean started getting rough. The waves got bigger and bigger, higher and higher, and the ship was tossed around like a toy boat in a bathtub. Okay, it's my fault, confessed Jonah, as he yelled over the roaring waves. I didn't do what God told me to. Just throw me overboard, and the rest of you will survive the storm. The crew didn't want to do that to Jonah, but the ship wouldn't hold together much longer. Sure enough, as soon as they threw Jonah overboard, and the monster looks creepy, man. It looks like some kind of like dragon type, um, sharp teeth, like, oh, it's dark. Um, as soon as they threw Jonah overboard, the sea calmed down. Something else was lurking in the water. It swam closer and closer toward Jonah. Before he had time to think or scream, Jonah felt the big, great fish open its mouth and swallow him whole. For three days, Jonah prayed to God, I'm sorry I didn't listen. Please rescue me, Lord, and I will go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Jonah screamed as he shot out of the fish's mouth. Can you guess where he landed? Yes, in Nineveh. Let's go to the map, David. Let's go to the map. All right. So to give you an idea of how ridiculous that is, although I, I did enjoy that. That was Up mostly to that point, good. it was great. Yeah. Mostly good. So it gets that worse, one, too, though. Hang to, on. Okay. All right. So this is a map I put in, in the blue is some um, kind of the modern day labels, just to give you an idea of the scale. Uh, if I use my laser pointer. So here is, is that showing up on there? Yep. That is Israel. Okay. Samaria is the capital of, this is the split kingdom. So you have uh, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Jonah was from up here. He got a ship in Joppa and <laughs> Tarshish is way over here. So that does kind of give you an idea of why he wanted to go there. That's roughly 2,500 miles away from, maybe it's from Nineveh. I think it's 25 there. And then this is, <laughs> this is about 550 miles. <laughs> so even at the closest spot along this shoreline here, the Mediterranean Sea, it would have been, you know, at least five, 600 miles away to get all the way over to, <laughs> to Nineveh. <laughs> That's quite a spit. 
boom, and he landed right there in Nineveh, and he walked away from it. Besides, I'm pretty impressed, right? So when the people of Nineveh heard Jonah's message from God, they realized how sinful they had become. They wanted to leave behind their evil ways and remember God again. Again? These are the Ninevites. They didn't know God in the first place. So people of all ages and roles in life, young kids, teenagers, moms, dads, grandparents, soldiers, even the king of Nineveh all humbled themselves before mighty God and asked for forgiveness for another chance, and God forgave them. Even though Jonah was also given a second chance, he was having a hard time again with God's plan. He must have thought something like this. These Ninevites have done so many terrible things, God. Why would you choose to forgive them? And then it goes on. So the Ninevites want to turn back to God again. Again, they never did turn to God in the first place. But this idea of getting spit up 600 miles, that kind of left me a little bit there. But this is the worst of them all. Okay, this one is so bad. This is, okay, so, I mean, it's pretty. And the, the illustrations are, are just amazing. But Jonah and the whale. Jonah lived a simple life in a small village and kept to himself. He liked to sit in the sun outside his house and feed the birds. I do appreciate that there are doves there. Though. There are doves, yes. He didn't like to get involved in other people's problems. But one day, Jonah heard a voice that seemed to come from nowhere. Jonah, son of Amittai, you'll be my prophet, it said. And Jonah jumped to his feet and looked around, but he could see no one. Then the voice spoke again, and Jonah knew that it was the voice of God. I just say, you know, Jonah was already a prophet and already prophesied before this and knew God. So it wasn't like he, yeah, anyway. So go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people there that they have been very wicked, God said. Tell them that if they don't change their ways, I will destroy that city. Jonah shook with fear. Me, he thought? God wants me to leave here and go all the way to Nineveh? Who would listen to an unimportant Israelite like me? He couldn't care about Ninevites, their wickedness or the city. And he thought he deserved to be, they deserved to be punished by God. Why would God have chosen him? Must be a mistake. Jonah decided to ignore the voice. But God cannot be ignored. Jonah, hurry yourself, God said. Get yourself to Nineveh. So God spoke to him a second time before he ever ran away. Jonah gathered some food and water for the journey, but felt worried and annoyed. Same thought kept running through his mind. I don't want to get involved with the Ninevites' problems. I just want to be left alone. Jonah decided to run away to avoid doing God's work. So he left his home. He did not set foot, set out for Nineveh. Instead, he headed for Joppa to a seaport and got a ship that was going to Tarshish. Maybe God won't notice that I'm traveling in the wrong direction, Jonah thought. By the time I get to Tarshish, it'll be too late. I'll be so far away from Nineveh that God will have to find himself a new prophet. Now, that part's pretty cool. I, I like that. That's a possibility. The sun beat down on Jonah's face, and he started to relax. Perhaps he really could avoid God's plan for him. Ship left Joppa, and Jonah heaved a sigh of relief. But God could read Jonah's thoughts, and he knew that his prophet was trying to escape. He made the wind blow stronger and stronger, and the ship was in the heart of a terrible storm. The ship creaked and rocked as if it would tear apart. Terrified, the sailors threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the load but the mighty waves got higher. His, in his bunk, Jonah shivered, knowing that God had sent the storm because he had not done what God had told him to do. Jonah got out of his bed and staggered up to the deck. Colossal waves were breaking across the ship. The sailors were clinging on for dear life. When Jonah saw how frightened they were, he felt very guilty. This is all my fault, he shouted above the roar of the ocean. I have made God angry. Throw me overboard and save yourselves. At first, the captain refused to throw his passenger overboard, but the sea became wilder. Hail lashed the decks, and bitter winds tore at the sailors. Despite uh, Desperate to save their lives, the sailors pushed Jonah into the cold sea. God help me, please, Jonah cried as he fell. Water closed over Jonah's head and filled his nose and mouth. He rose to the surface, coughing and sputtering. Although he was frightened, he could see that the sea was growing calmer and the winds dying down, and the hail had stopped. No, hail. Thank goodness, Jonah said. Whatever happens to me, the ship and the sailors are safe. 
It's, right? <laughs> wow. Suddenly Jonah felt himself being sucked into darkness. I'm going to drown, he thought. He stretched out his arms as he was pulled down and felt soft, warm walls around him. In a panic, he kicked his legs and flailed his arms, but still he was pulled further down. At last, Jonah landed on something soft and staggered to his feet. Where am I? Looking around, he saw a vast, dim cavern that smelled of fish. A thin spear of light was shining from above. So apparently the hole from the whale was up above. Okay. And when Jonah looked up, he saw the hole high above his head. He felt the cavern move, and he realized the truth. The fish, uh, in a, in a flash of, of amazement, Jonah had been swallowed by a whale. God had seen his prophet alone and helpless in the sea, and he was pleased that Jonah had sacrificed himself to save the sailors. So he sent the whale to keep Jonah safe. Wow. Right? Kneeling down, Jonah spoke to God. I'm sorry for disobeying you. He said, please let me out of here. There was no reply. Jonah beat his hands against the side of the whale but could not escape. Jonah lay inside the whale for three days and three nights. He was tired, wet, and cold, and he felt weak with hunger and thirst. Worst of all, he was gripped by fear. What if, what if he were stuck inside the whale forever? I don't think that's possible. I think eventually. Anyway, so what was God's plan for him? At last, Jonah shut his eyes and prayed, God, I am ready. He whispered into the darkness. I will gladly do what you ask. Suddenly, everything started to shake. Light flooded the cavern. Jonah squeezed his eyes shut and trembled and, and tumbled head over heels through the, um, through the whale. What is happening, he cried. And when Jonah opened his eyes, he was lying on soft, warm sand. The whale had thrown him up onto dry land. And Jonah heard God's voice once again. Go to the city of Nineveh, Jonah, God said. Do what I've asked you. I will, Jonah promised. He climbed to his feet and set off right away. When he arrived in Nineveh, Jonah thought that no one would believe he was a prophet. But he kept his promise and preached in the marketplaces. He, spreads God's, he spread God's message from slums to palaces and temples and shacks. Turn to God and repent or he will punish you. I remember that part in there. Um, Jonah, Jonah he never mentioned God or repentance. He just said, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Jonah told the people to his surprise, people stopped to hear him speak. They believe what he said and God's word spread. Even the king of Nineveh listened to Jonah's message. He changed his royal robes for clothes made of sackcloth to show he was sad. No one in Nineveh will eat or drink until we have shown God that we are sorry for all the things we've done to the king. I hope that he will be able to forgive us. God heard Nineveh's prayer and placed and was pleased with Jonah. I will not destroy the city, he told Jonah. They have obeyed me, so I will show mercy. But instead of feeling proud for having helped save the city, Jonah felt anger raging inside him. Why had the Ninevites been punished? The Ninevites don't deserve to be forgiven, he cried. Is it right for you to be angry, God asked. Jonah did not reply. He stormed out of the city, but soon the scorching midday sun was burning down on his head. Jonah staggered to the side of the road, dropped to the ground under the tree. He was exhausted and furious, and there was no shelter from the sun. I wish I had never come here, he fumed. I didn't ask to get involved. <laughs> Jonah sat under the tree in a rage. God made fresh green leaves unfurl from the bare branches of the trees. The tree grew larger and curved itself over Jonah until he was lying under shade, the shade and his body cooled down, his temper cooled too. Thank you, God, he murmured as he drifted to sleep. At sunrise, God sent a worm to eat Jonah's tree. Its leaves shriveled up and fell from the branches. Jonah woke to find the sun blazing down on him. Why did you kill the tree, God? Jonah raged. It was a good tree and provided me with shelter. You are angry because the tree did not deserve to die, God said. How would I have felt if I had let, um, if I had to let Nineveh burn? If the three, if, I'm sorry, if the tree deserves a second chance, surely my people deserve a second chance too. And what about you and the whale who saved you? Jonah bowed his head in shame. Now he could see what God was trying to show him. I'm sorry, he whispered. 
God had saved the people of Nineveh just as, he, um, just as he had sent the whale to save Jonah because God loves all of his people. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Mike? <laughs> That's bad. It's, again, we're reading into the story what we think should be there. Jonah should have repented. Jonah should have been happy. Jonah should have been, and, and he wasn't. That's the point. It's satire. You're supposed to read it and go, why didn't he? What's wrong with him? And what? Yeah, so don't, don't do those. Um, but those are just children's books. And, and the reason I bring this up with children's books is it's okay to have some fun with the stories and, and realize you can't teach children certain lessons in, in certain complex lessons. You have to sometimes bring the story into an, an easier to relate format, but make sure that the books that you're picking and the way that you're relating the story is not distorting the truth of what God's word says. Does that, does that make sense? Check them out. Just because they say Bible book on them or Bible story doesn't mean that they're good. Make sure they're actually teaching what the Bible teaches um, or we're setting our kids up for, for a lot of problems down the road. Um, okay, my rant is over. That was one of the rants I had to get out. Um, <laughs> I just had to. That was a, that was a good rant. Thanks. Uh, I know it's late, but we have one more uh, kind of type of literature that was inspired by Jonah that we want to look at. Um, this stuff's cool. This is really cool. If, if you'll indulge me for a minute, there's this, this guy named Thomas John Carlyle. He's actually from the North Country here. He was born in 1913 in Plattsburgh, New York. He died in 1992. He was a Presbyterian minister, and he was also a poet. He wrote a lot of vast number of poems throughout his life. I only even discovered him, even though he's from the North Country, because... Tim Mackey, who is from the Bible Project, uh, which is an awesome project, made a reference to him somewhere. Some, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I looked into him and, wow, he's from the North Country. He's a really cool guy. But I wanted to bring him up because he created this huge body of work that was inspired by the book of Jonah. And I think it's kind of in contrast to some of these kids' <laughs> stories. It might be kind of a relief to read some of these um, because he, he wrote... I, I think it was 80 or, or over 80 poems inspired by the book of Jonah. Put them together in a single volume. And I just think his style. You're reading style, all of them, right? You're reading all of them. Yeah, I'm going to go through all 80. Just bear with me. No, I, I, I chose just a couple out uh, to share with you because I think he just has this intuition where he's really understanding the message of Jonah. He's getting into the mind of Jonah. And it's, it's really cool. All right. So the first one, I have four. And they're mostly pretty short. They're just poems. They're not whole books like Mike just sorry, read. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's been bugging me for a long time. <laughs> All right. So the first one that I chose is one that kind of corresponds to chapter one of Jonah. I'll put up on the screen here. It's called Let's Cool Down. And this is Jonah's voice here. It says, I know a better way to circumvent your silly streak of mixing love with righteous judgment. All I need to do is take the next flight west, beyond your jurisdiction. <laughs> this will give you time for sober second thought, to swear off this kick of simple-minded kindness. Uh, isn't that just great? Getting into the mind of Jonah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's cool. I know not everyone likes poetry, but I, 
Okay, this one is from Inside the Monster from Chapter 2. David's been quoting me poetry, by the way, for the last yes, couple of weeks. Yes, I've been reading yes. him poetry. I was as low as I could get when I remembered God. Odd that my distress impressed me with his apparent absence when his premised daily presence hadn't mes- meant a blessed thing. Finding myself in that hole with my soul fainting and rolling with the swell of my swollen ego was good enough to kill me. Good. Instead, I saw stars in the dark and started home on a welcome water spout. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay, this one. Did it go to the next one? Yep, chapter three. It's the same one. All right, here we go. This one corresponds to chapter three called Addiction. I love this one. It's chapter four, actually. That is chapter four. Well, it's kind of both. I didn't skip one, did I? You did. You had just, your slide was wrong, that's all. The counselor to the Almighty, your slide was wrong. You that's the one I read just it. read. No. Think twice before you pardon. Yeah. I'll read, I'll read chapter three to you. I'm just kidding. Read, read it from your notes. Here, read it from your notes because you had your slide is wrong. You put the oh, right title. Oh, this is the wrong. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay, yeah, I see yeah, what you're it's saying. Right there. All right, so it says, Counselor to the Almighty, think twice before you pardon. Men repent even in ashes, but repent again of their repentance. Take the wiser bias of my advice. Confine your charity to such good neighbors as your humble servant. <laughs> <laughs> it's the arrogance of that one. That's great. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you didn't yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Okay, this one is chapter four. Consistently, Jonah chided his stupid and incredible creator for his addiction to mercy, as though it were some miracle drug. A deity ought to be dependably capricious to keep the natives in line. Decimating that overpopulated slum would wipe out delinquency in a hurry. Naturally, Nineveh would make a perfect target. That is, once he was safely outside. And just one last one, a really short one, that I just think is, is great, called Question. I can't help but hear that in Dwight Schrute's voice. Question. I hate God's enemies with perfect hatred. Why can't God do this much? Isn't that profound? I'm I just think he really captures it so well. So you geeked out on the kids' books. I geeked out on, on Carlisle's poems. <laughs> you kind of get the picture of where our heads are. <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want the picture books. <laughs> he wants the, the deep stuff. So, so, so why do we bring all this stuff up? Why, why the chicken special? Um, I, think, I think our hope in all of this, and even in spending as many weeks as we did in the book of Jonah, was um, to help you understand that God's word is amazing. There's so much to it. And, and if you're new to reading the Bible, we don't want you to, to feel discouraged, like, I'll never get all that out of the Bible. You can read the Bible and catch stuff the first time through, but you can read it three dozen times and still catch stuff. And that's part of the point. The Bible is just awesome. And, and the more time you spend in it, the more you learn. So if you're, if you're new to the scriptures, just read it and see what you catch. And it's okay if you catch the part that, you know, God spared Nineveh or God did this or the sailors did that. If you caught one thing from the book of Jonah reading through it, cool. If you've been reading the Bible and you've read it through a couple dozen times, spend some time to really start picking it apart and see 
what you can learn. Um, the book of Proverbs says this, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. And this is what we get when we spend time in God's word. I also say this is much easier to get more out of God's word when you study it with somebody else. Um, it's, it's really easy to read it and go, oh, um, I, I, well, I don't know what I just read. Have you ever read like the same paragraph of the Bible like over like five times and wonder like, it's much easier to get more out of God's word when you spend time reading it and studying it with somebody else. But we're hopeful that you'll want to dig in and see what you can learn about the scriptures. Um, read it, but then also study it. Um, that's one of the things we're hoping you'd get from this. Yeah, and another thing that I just really want to leave with you is going back to that idea of God really being adamant about his story being told in and among and through humans. And, you know, it's, it's important to recognize that God is in control, but he has chosen to make us active participants in his plan for creation. And that's from the very beginning that's been his plan. And he's worked relentlessly to make that happen and to keep it that way in spite of our repeated rejection of mm -hmm. him. You know, our way of thinking can sometimes, I think, be very selfish because if we recognize God's sovereignty, which we also see in Jonah. He's in control. He's got it all under control. So, you know, why can't he just take care of everything? Why do I need to be a part of it? One of the kids' books actually said something like that. I didn't ask to be a part of this. The one I'm throwing away. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and, you know, why aren't my desires be, being met? Why aren't I comfortable? You know, if I have just maybe a little bit more faith in God, then he will give me more things, more comfort, and squash my enemies. So that's how worshiping an all-powerful creator works, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the perks, right? No, of course not. That's, that's a Jonah way of thinking, and it's not right. You know, and Jesus came and showed us a different way to live, what it truly means to worship God and to live sacrificially and humbly. And he said that the most important thing you can do is love God and love others, including your enemies. I think that's where that's where everybody tripped up yeah. when he said that was like, and yeah. love your enemies. Yeah, I can love my brother. Yeah, yeah. yes, amen, brother. That's right. And love your enemies, and yeah, that's that's so simple, but it's so radical. And I want to share just one last short poem from Carlisle, uh, and I think it just so beautifully sums up the whole conclusion of Jonah in a way that you know, Mike, a couple of weeks ago mentioned that laser on your chest when in the TV shows when you realize that the person looks down and they've got a, a sniper point on their chest and they realize they're in trouble this poem kind of turns that laser right on your chest it's called coming around i think i have a slide for this one too coming around and jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for god to come around to his way of thinking and god is still waiting for a host of jonah's 
in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. Why don't you close this out in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you once again for the opportunity to study your word together. Thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you for the blessing that it's been to Mike and I to study it over the past couple months. And I pray that it has been a blessing to some others as well. Lord, I pray that you would work on our hearts, that we would not be wondering when you're going to come around to our way of thinking, but mm-hmm. that you would be bringing us around to your way of loving. Show us the opportunities in which we can love others around us and show our love for you in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for sticking with us through all of that and for listening to our rants. If you'd like to uh, 